Awesome. Awesome, awesome. How many of you know he's an awesome God? Oh, he's an awesome God. My Lord, he's awesome. Thank God for his awesomeness. We are, uh, I want to mention something about Multicultural Sunday. We're excited about that, about celebrating that next week. And we're excited about having Fairfield Choir here. Unless anyone think that we're calling it Multicultural Sunday to diminish celebrating African-American history, you're wrong. My theory in doing that, or my mission in doing that, I believe every day is Black History Day. Every day. And so we're not going to limit the celebration of our achievements in our community to 28 or however many days in the year. We're going to do it all through the year. Okay? And so, but we do want to make the, have a day to acknowledge the contributions of others, which is why we call, including African Americans, which is why we designate that Sunday as Multicultural Sunday. But the following Sunday, we're going to have profiles in living history here at the church where we'll identify members of our community who we believe today are living examples of uh, what we need in our community. And we'll have that celebration throughout the year. So I want to be clear on that. I don't want anybody to say, well, you know, we don't celebrate what we do. No, we just put what we do on steroids and celebrate it all year long throughout the throughout the year. So, amen. And so you have, if you have some recommendations for some individuals that we can profile, uh, identify as a profile in living history, see Sister Dars Maddox. Everybody knows Dars. It's Dars. Raise your hand, Dars. Yes. Let us know, and we'll make sure that that committee goes through and identifies and vets them. Amen. 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 I, uh, I had my mind on this Sunday for a while, and um, the emotional part of Andre had prepared to come in today, and I was going to preach the same sermon I preached the first Sunday I came here, 20 years ago, but uh, the Lord wouldn't have me to do that. He wouldn't release me on that sermon, uh, the subject matter was, wasn't what he wanted for us today. And so he led me to a, a different pathway, which I, of course, know is better. Um, Old Testament prophet, Malachi, bridge prophet between the old and the new, chapter 3, verse 6. A very simple verse there. And I want to read it in your hearing as we get started. It's very simple. The Lord inspired Malachi to write these words, for I am the Lord, and I do not change. 
That's it. For I am the Lord. And I do not change. In the original text it says, I am Jehovah. And I change not. Jehovah in Bible terms, so you know this. When you see Jehovah in Bible terms, that's God's government name. All right? That's his official name. That means I am God, the God, the self existent one. All right? There are other terms that we use. We identify God, and they identify other aspects of his character. But Jehovah is the I am that we refer to. And God had Malachi write simply, I, I change, I change not. I do not change. Change is we say, inevitable. Things always, things always change. So many changes have, just if we just concentrate on this church in the past two decades, a lot of things have changed. A lot of things have changed. And I'm not just talking about the people in the pews. I'm talking about how we do things. Some people struggle with change. It upsets their equilibrium because they get comfortable with the way things are. But in my definition, you can't be an effective leader if you're not willing to change some things. It's just necessary. And I've noticed that people who tolerate change least are selective in how they do that. Because there's some aspects of our lives that we don't have no problem with change. You know, I bet I can follow everybody in here home and, and, and ain't nobody got no wood burning stove in the house, not their primary residence. You got some, if you, if you got the ability, you got some central air and heat flowing through there somewhere. Yeah, and just about everybody in here got a microwave. Just about everybody. You might not use it often, but you got one. We have changed so much in so many capacities that it's unbelievable. Just in the last, let's just say 50 years, things are ridiculously different. And that's why I always try to be sympathetic to people who are older because life has changed so much in their time. So much. I mean, who would ever thought, first of all, that, I mean, everybody got a car now. I mean, some kind of transportation. That wasn't always the case. Fifty years ago, having a car was a commodity. You, you, you was about something. Not only do you now have a car, most folk got husband and wife got a car. The two or three car, children got cars. It, you go to their house, it looked like a parking lot outside their home. And that wasn't always the case. So. 
Now you get in the cars and the cars do more driving for you. Things, things have changed. I, I always say, and you hear me say in sermons when I first started driving, the, the bright lights on the car was a button in the floorboard of the car. To put the, car, the, the headlights on bright, you stepped on a button while you were driving, and that would put the lights on bright. And that was that was newfangled. <laughs> that was that was new. And now we drive cars. Some folk in here know what I'm talking about. And now we drive cars that have running lights on them all day long. They, the lights stay on the whole day. Yeah. Not only that, the lights are brighter now than they were. These incandescent lights that we have now. Well, you can blind somebody when you put lights on bright. Things are. But ironically, even though they're brighter, they're more efficient. <laughs> they run. It's the truth. They've stopped. The government came out with a rule to change the light bulbs that we put in our house. After a certain time, they don't even make those kind of light bulbs anymore. They want you to put these efficient light bulbs in your house. Things have, things have changed. And that's just at your house. I wouldn't even start talking about medicine. Medicine is so different. I always use the example, Pastor Holman, I remember 20-some years ago, he had to go in and have a hip replacement. And when he went in, he was in the hospital for about a week. I remember because we were all concerned about him and his recovery. He came out, and after he came out of the surgery, he was recovering for about six weeks, convalescent from the hip replacement surgery. Recently, he had to have another one because people don't understand that there's a life expectancy on some of those devices. They don't last forever. I think the life expectancy on the one he had, he had both done, but on this one that had to be changed was about 15 years. He went 20, so he was blessed. But by the time he had it, he needed to have it done. But I said all that to say that when he had this surgery last year, it was outpatient surgery. That's in the span of 20 years. Something that once took a weak convalescent after the surgery could be done on an outpatient basis. Thank God for that. Less time in the hospital creates less problems. Less time convalescing means you get up and get better faster if you're obedient. My goodness. Having things change. Those same cars that your children ride around in now. Right now, every person in the car, other than the driver, we hope, can be on their own separate device watching something. It doesn't matter. They can watch whatever they want to watch on Wi-Fi in the car because your car got its own Wi-Fi system. Things have changed. We're so connected all the time, and yet we communicate less. Yeah, always connected, never conversing. Things have changed. And so we get accustomed to change. But how many of y'all, like me, are glad that in your life there are some things that don't ever change? And there are some things you ought to have in your life that should not change. They ought to be a constant. And so for a minute I want to talk about some things never change. Some things never, ever 
ever change. And I like certain restaurants, as do you, but the reason I go to those restaurants is because when I order the dish that I like, it's consistent. I'm going to that restaurant looking for a particular taste, all right? And the ones that I frequent don't let me down, Louise. When I order whatever it is, the chicken pot pie, whatever it is, it's the same chicken pot pie every time. That's what I like. That's comforting to me for whatever reason. It, it, you know, I know I'm right about it. You, you go to the chicken place you like because the chicken always the chicken you want to eat. In fact, you can tell when you go in there and they change, oh, they, they need to change the grease. You, you can say they need to change the grease on this because this doesn't taste the way I want it to taste. We thrive on consistency in our lives. We need it to be that way psychologically. We need it to be the same. In fact, if you keep going to that restaurant two or three times, and whatever it is you order doesn't taste the same each time, guess what you're going to do? Stop going to that restaurant until you find something that you like, and that's, that's consistent. I remember there was a time in our house you could go in our refrigerator, and when you opened it, if you found mayonnaise, it was going to be blue plate. It was going to be blue plate. We went to the grocery store, blue plate. I don't know when we switched to Dukes, but we did, because that was she like, <laughs> you, used, you used to like blue plate, because <laughs> that was she like, it's the truth, it's the job used to give you blue plate for Valentine's <laughs> It's true. At some point, things change, and now it'd be different. I saw a little bit, we went on a trip recently, and, and when we, we had to stop by the store to buy something to make sandwiches while we were at the temporary place we were staying in. It was a little bit of job blue plate. And the only reason I mention that is because when I put it in the refrigerator, that which was once so common looked unusual in my refrigerator because the blue plate and it was sitting right next to the dukes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, things, things change, things change. But you want to have some in your life that stays the same. That's where Malachi comes in. Malachi was instructed by God to affirm to the Israelites, David, that I am God and I don't change. Public opinion polls can't make me change. Your opinion of me can't make me change. I'm the God that I am, and I'm going to be this God forever. And either you conform to who or what I am, or you deal with the consequences of not dealing with, I mean, of not following and unchanging God. But I don't know about you. I'm grateful that I got a God who don't change. I, I'm grateful that the same God who saw fit to bring me to 45th Street 20 years ago is the same God 
that I'm talking to and preaching about right now. And there's been plenty of change in the last two decades. But the one constant, Ingrid, is that God is who he said he was. And why is that important? It's important because when he tells you something, his record is that I ain't going to tell you if it ain't true. And so when he says, I'm going to be with you, you can put that in the bank that he's going to be with you. That's not always the case with people. People can tell you, I'm going to be with you. And then you look around and realize they got ghosts like Scooby-Doo. Like, they gone. You all by yourself in a situation. But, but what I want you to understand is when God instructed Malachi to write this, just a little history on this, the Israelites had been in exile. And this period of time when he instructed Malachi to write this was a time when things were changing. They were going from being in exile even after they had been given all these promises by this unchanging God. Now he was the same God for them he was for us right now. He didn't change for them the same God that Moses met on the side of the mountain is the one you meet on the side of your bed at night. That's the same God. The only thing that's changed is us and our circumstances, but God is still the same. The same one who gave, Mo, um, gave uh, uh, Abraham the ram in the bush is the same God who gets you out of your circumstances. You ought to hear what I'm saying now. We're not dealing with God 1.1 and 1.2. He's the same God. The same God who spoke from heaven when Jesus was baptized by his cousin John the Baptist. The same God is the one you and I are dealing with. The same God your mom and daddy prayed to for you to get here is the one you pray to. The same one. The assurance that comes from dealing with a God who is constant, who is self-existent. He doesn't have to call in a meeting to decide what he's going to do. When he says it, it's done. The assurance that comes from dealing with a God like that is so wonderful when I know that he is, watch this now, he's my God. He's my God. He is my God, and he loves me. And guess what? He knows my name. He knows Andre. He knows my whole name. He knows my whole name. He can call me Donnell, and I ain't in trouble. He loves me. He's never changed, and he's not going to change. But what comes with that is an awful responsibility and understanding, Cass. When you know you're dealing with a God and that God never changes, then you need to put some things into context that, first of all, I know this, God is not going to change the way he feels about me. He's not. God is not going to change the way. He loves me in every form of my life, in my Days when I didn't understand who he was, he loved me. And days when I didn't appreciate him, he loved me. 
and the days when I took for granted the things that he blessed me with, he still loved me. Yeah, when he gave me to who, those who raised me, he loved me. God is not going to change the way he feels about me. I find such assurance in that. And the reason is, Fiatha, sometimes I don't even like myself. And I certainly can't feel the love for myself. And to know that God never changes how he feels about me on my high, high days he loves me and on my low, low days he loves me. Blessed assurance that he cares enough about me to take care of me. And he loved me enough, me enough, you can put your name in the blank too, to send his one and only son to rescue me from the problems that I had. And folks say, well, I'm not a sinful person. You are. You were born in sin. You were born in sin. Adam made sure that you and every person born after, we were born into sin. And what you're talking about is your actions. You, you don't do things to harm people, but that's not the same as your nature. Yeah, you were born in sin with a sinful nature. And the only way to change that is to be born again with a new nature. And man tried to straighten that out time after time and never could, which is why we're in this space right now and God is telling the Israelites, you need to be reminded that I am Jehovah. And I don't change. When I promised the Hebrew that I would bring them out of Egypt, didn't I do it? When I promised them that I would give them the land that was overflowing in milk and honey, didn't I do it? It wasn't God who changed the plan. It was them who changed the plan. They always messed it up. But God always kept his word. He always found that it didn't matter how much he loved them, they still had to be shown over and over again. They would disrespect him. And he'd go back and get them out of trouble. They would ignore him and go after other gods, and he would come back and show them he loved them again. Somebody here know what I'm talking about. He's been blessing you. And yet you find time for everything but him. Now don't point the finger at the Israelites as if they were something unique. This is a story that repeats itself over and over and over again. Every generation of man brings his own problems. But at the, in the big scheme of things, it's all the same. He loves us, he chases us, and we love him for a minute and then we turn our back. We get what we can from him. And then when we feel like we're doing all right, you know, we take time for everything but him. He's still God, though. He still loves us. All he wants is fellowship with us. He can still get you out of trouble. We thank him for a little while until we're walking all right by ourselves and then we turn around 
and we act like we don't know nothing about him no more. I, I know what I'm talking about, because I did it myself. Yeah, I put my hand in his pocket when I needed something. And sometimes I took what I got out of his pocket and spent it on stuff that I shouldn't have. Yeah, he forgave me for it. He blessed me anyway. And I loved him for a while until I felt like I could run by myself a little while, Mason, and then I, I ignored him. Didn't spend no time with him, didn't get up, fellowship with him in the morning. Don't, don't meditate, don't, don't just talk to him. I can't imagine how lonely God feels. If he could feel lonely, he's depending on us to talk to him. And then the Lord struggling just for fellowship even that, but it doesn't change how he feels about us. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he sent us away to have forever fellowship with us, he sent his son to die for us. And so you ought to be thankful today that God doesn't change how he feels about you. He loves you just as much today as he has always loved you and it's never ever diminished in any way and nothing you do can change how God loves you and I'm thankful that my teenage years didn't mess up my relationship with God forever. That's some folk I, I was friends with when I was teenagers and I ain't heard from them in about 40 years but that ain't God. Thank God he doesn't have that about him. I know I'm not alone like that. Somebody else. You know some folk. Y'all are cut buddies, bosom buddies, freaking frack, and now you just don't even know where they are. Wouldn't be able to find them if you couldn't even Google them and find them if you needed to, to find you just don't know where God is still in the same place. How can he love me through all that? How can he? Songwriter said, how could he love me so? I'm sure I never know why he was willing to sacrifice his life. Not only does God not change the way he feels about me, this is not going to make you happy, but it's what he said today. God never changes the way he feels about sin. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. See, this is where we get off with him. He never, he never, we might become accepting of things, but God doesn't change how he feels about sin. What was sin before is sin now. It doesn't matter how popular things are. It doesn't matter how we like it. It doesn't matter how we market it. What God said is wrong is still wrong. That's just how it is. As much as people in times change, God doesn't change the way he feels about sin. But can I tell you something? God doesn't throw people out he loves. That is a modern construct for us to section folk off we don't like. Not invite people. Not take care of people. Love is the imperative with God. We are the only one who puts categories on sins, on what's higher and lower than other. We do that. 
God doesn't do that. To God, sin is sin. There's no sub-sin to God. Sin is sin. We're the ones who make acceptable and unacceptable sins. And sometimes I think we look at ourselves and we think we know better than God. Yeah. We look back now and don't understand the core concept of Adam messing us up. Today, in the modern construct today, we'd say, what's the big deal? He just ate a piece of fruit. What kind of God would kick you out of heaven, uh, out of paradise, because you ate a piece of fruit? It, it, it defies their understanding that because God said, don't eat that fruit. Just that simple. But nothing simple when you want it to go your way. You can always rationalize why it should have been different because it's something you wanted to do. What's the big deal? The big deal is God said, don't do it. That's, that's the big deal. And if he said, don't do it, that means don't do it. <laughs> yeah. God being the Lord of our life means that we're agreeing to be obedient to him. That's a big concept. That means when you're obedient, you do things whether you like it or not. You do it. And the truth of the matter is, if we put it into the right context, knowing that God is one who wouldn't do anything against us, if he tells us not to do it, then it must mean it's for our benefit. And so your obedience to God means that I'm loving God taking care of me. Some of us have some parents who loved you enough to tell you right from wrong. And they told you not to do A, B, or C. And you found out in your infinite wisdom after you had messed up that your mom and daddy really did love you. And they knew more than you knew about a circumstance. But you had to buy that sense. And when you buy that sense, it usually costs you more than you want to pay. And you have to deal with it for longer than you want to deal with it. But if you just listen to your parents, stop calling them old-fashioned and out of touch with everything. Stop telling them they old fuddy-duddies. Everybody else doing it. Why I can't do it? You ain't saying that no more. Yeah, some of you, if you could, if you didn't have so much pride, would fall down on your mama's, on your knees in front of your mama and beg her forgiveness for all the times you doubted that she loved you enough. That's God. God tells us what's good for us. And he gives us directions, and we would do well. So listen to him. Sin does not make God happy under any circumstances. He don't play with sin. It's not cute. It's not cute. No, no, it's not cute. You know how we, te we teach kids to do stuff that's adult, and then we laugh at them. You know, make them little actors. It ain't cute. Yeah. Yeah, I'm noticing there's a, there's a movie I've been watch, I watched a week or so ago called Underdog. I like Snoop. I like Snoop, Calvin Broaders. I know he's an actor. 
I know that. The little movie he got out now on Netflix, I think, is how he started something that's beneficial. He started a youth football league in Los Angeles. It's still going. A lot of guys have been saved. A lot of them have made uh, professions out of sports. And they started because Snoop used his resources and his reach to help start it for all those kids who didn't have the resources and to participate in community sports. But in the depiction of the movie, the kids cuss more than the grown folk. In fact, the kids cuss the grown folk out and the grown folk cuss them back out. This the movie. This the movie, and I guess they said they were just keeping it real. They were just keeping it real in the movie, in the depiction, and what I'm saying to you is while that may have been a reality of what happened, is this something we want to put before the rest of America in this kind of language? Because these other little kids that are watching this are going to pick up and suddenly we got something that's way out of hand here. In fact, let me tell you the irony in this. The irony in this is that's the movie that's being put out about those kids playing in sports. If a college coach talked to a kid the way they talked to those little kids on that movie, that college coach's job would be in jeopardy. If he cursed out those students like that. In this day and time, that is unacceptable communication. And so what conflicting messages? are we sending to our kids? And that's because we don't have any standards when it comes to teaching. And most of these kids are going to learn more from TV than they're going to learn from mama and daddy. They learn from that. And we make excuses for our sin. We justify our sin. And I came to tell you, bottom line is, sin is sin. God is never going to change what he feels about being a sinner. And the last thing is this, and I'm out of here. Not only is God never going to change the way he feels about me, thank God some things never change. Not only is God not going to change the way he feels about sin, I like this, and maybe you will too, God is never going to change Casanova, the plan of salvation that he gave to us. <laughs> All right? The way he gave us to get back into good grace with him is the way it's going to always be. We're not going to get to 2050 and God going to say, all right, we've been using that Jesus dying on the cross thing for a while now. We're going to change up. And now you got to go through this in order to get to help. No, the same way since Jesus died on the cross, the same way you and I, he had to make a way for all those billions of people since then. It's the same way you and I get back in good graces or get back into relationship with the Lord. The same way, faith in what Jesus Christ has done, belief in what he's done, obedience to the principles that he's taught us. It's the same way for us as it is for anybody around the world who wants to be in the family of the Lord. The women and men who lived before Jesus Christ came looking ahead by faith, believing that the Messiah would come. That, that's what they believe. You and I have the, the benefit of knowing that Messiah came. 
Yeah, we're not speculating. We're talking about a sure hope that we too will be in heaven with him. All you have to do is have faith enough to believe that it happened, that he did die for us. God validates that kind of faith. Whether it was the women and men looking forward to Jesus coming, God validated that faith, or those who know it's happened and believe in that even though we didn't see it. That's what scripture said. He said, you believe because you have seen. But blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. God validates that kind of faith. Before, before Adam sinned, he enjoyed a fellowship jacket with God every day. They were together every day. They were in the Garden of Eden every day. God would come and commune and fellowship with Adam. But when Adam violated God's command not to eat from the fruit, the devil convinced them that God's word was he wouldn't surely die. But he did. He did. Two things he died from. Yeah. First of all, when they lived in the Garden of Eden, God gave them everything, provided everything for them. What was not present in that existence at that time was physical death. As long as they had been obedient to God, they would have never known about physical death. They would have just been with God forever. But in violating God's command, they died two times. The first time now is they can experience and we can experience physical death. The scripture tells us that it's given unto man to die. We die. That's because of what happened in that garden. You and I will surely die. At some point, we'll die. Somehow, some way, some place, we're going to physically die. And then the rest of that scripture says, but after that, the judgment. And the question is, will you die physically and then die spiritually? Because what Adam didn't realize that not only, and dying simply means separation. That's what dying means, separation. So not only will you physically be separated, the question is, what happens then to your soul? Will you be spiritually separated from him? And those who have not believed in Jesus Christ will die again. They'll be spiritually separated from the Lord. But those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, though we cannot get away from that first death, it's going to happen unless he comes back for us before that. Yeah, if he comes back for us before that, then we too will not see that first death. But by chance, we don't make it that far. When he comes back to get us, we can rest assured and plenty of mama, 
when a daddy has gone to glory with the assurance that I might be separated from you now in my body, but I'm guaranteed through Christ that I'm going to be with you forever because God has promised me that. And this God that I believe in, he never changes. He never changes. He's always going to be with me, and so I came to tell you today, if you don't know this God, you need to meet him. If you don't understand who he is, you need to learn about him. He loves you whether you know it or not. He sent his son to die for you whether you know it or not. The lifestyle you've been living, the life you've been living, is one that he's been paying attention to. And it doesn't matter what you do. If you haven't accepted his gift of his son, then your life is one outside the ark of safety. Don't listen to what the world tells you. Don't, don't listen to it. Don't let Google tell you there are three ways to go to hell. Yeah, that folks said, Google, how do I go to hell? I can tell you by listening to Google. All right? You better listen to the word. Don't listen to Google, listen to God. All right? He sent a way for you to live with him everlasting. And the way you live with him everlasting is by faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what your life was before that. Some folks say, well, I wasn't that bad before that. It doesn't matter. Ain't no degrees. Sin is sin. You got to accept his gift of eternal life. You got to accept the fact that he died for you. But that's not the whole story. Deborah, he said he died on Friday. But he got up on Sunday. I always use my sanctified imagination to imagine God in father form, to imagine God as a daddy on Sunday morning. I always see him going to that sepulcher, and I imagine him going in that room, Fiatha, and seeing his boy laying there. And I can imagine God standing next to Jesus who's dead and laying his hand on him and saying, Jesus, wake up. I've come to get you. I'm going to take you back home with me. I can imagine God taking his baby, his only son. Can you imagine how caring he would have been? This is not a job he would have sent an angel to do. The angel can open the grave, but God goes in himself and gets him, himself in. I can imagine he says, sit up, boy. Let me, let me get you out of here. Because, see, I don't want you to think that a spirit got up and walked. No, 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 that's, that's, not, what, that's not what the Bible says. Jesus didn't get up in spirit. Jesus' body got up. His body got up, and, and can you see him stand up? And maybe he was a, maybe he was, he was a little groggy from his sleep. I don't know. All I know is God let him lean on him. And I can imagine that God tenderly walked him straight from there back to glory because he loves him that much. 
Now, why does that matter to me? Because I can imagine that one day, the same God who resurrected Jesus Christ, one day, the same God who tenderly came and got his son up out of that grave, one day, that same God is going to do the same thing for Andre. One day, he's going to say, get up. Come on, live with me forever, but not just to me. I can see him getting everybody who I love to live for him and died for him the same way, and that includes you. The question is, have you accepted him? I'm going to live with him forever. That's another unchanging thing. He promised me, he promised never to leave me alone. Yeah, he's going to take me back to glory with him. And I'm going to live with him forever. I ain't going to be nobody's pastor in heaven. I ain't going to have to preach to nobody in heaven. Won't be no one o'clock sermon preparation in heaven. No, because every day is going to be celebration in heaven. I'm looking forward to the day when God has us all gathered together at home. Will you be there? That's the question. Will, will, will you be there? Can't nobody answer for you. Nobody can do it for you. It's just your question. Will you be there in glory when we all gather together at home? I got a month over in glory. Got a father over in glory. Got grandparents. I got folk over there who I can't wait to see again. I used to say I can't wait to see them so I could talk to them about my life here and say, Mama, I did my best. But none of that will matter. None of this will matter when we get to the other side. And all of that is because I got a God who never changes. He never, ever changes, and I depend on him being true to his word. Doors of our church, they're open right now. They're open right now. Will you be there? Are you going to be a part of the family of Christ? If you're not, now's the time. Doors of our church are wide open. Whosoever will, let them come right now. Come on. Don't let another day go by. We're baptizing. Show the world that you believe in Jesus. We'll teach you how to grow in Christ. Come on to him right now. Come on. Right now. Yeah. He endures forever. He's able. Today is the day. Yeah.